Chapter Four of the Decoration of Houses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. The Decoration of Houses by Edith Wharton and Ogden Codman. Chapter Four Doors. The fate of the door in America has been a curious one, and had the other chief features of the house, such as windows, fireplaces, and stairs, been pursued with the same relentless animosity by architects and decorators, we should no longer be living in houses at all. First the door was slid into the wall, then even its concealed presence was resented, and it was unhung and replaced by a portiere, while of late it has actually ceased to form a part of house building, and many recently built houses contain doorways without doors. Even the front door, which might seem to have too valid a reason for existence to be disturbed by the variations of fashion, has lately had to yield its place, in the more pretentious kind of house, to a wrought iron gateway lined with plate glass against which as a climax of inconsequence a thick curtain is usually hung it is not difficult to explain such architectural vagaries in general their origin is to be found in the misapplication of some serviceable feature and its consequent rejection by those who did not understand that it had ceased to be useful only because it was not properly used in the matter of doors such an explanation at once presents itself during the latter half of the eighteenth century it occurred to some ingenious person that when two adjoining rooms were used for entertaining and it was necessary to open the doors between them these doors might be in the way and to avoid this possibility a recess was formed in the thickness of the wall and the door was made to slide into it this idea apparently originated in england for sliding doors even in the present day are virtually unknown on the continent and isaac ware in the book already quoted speaks of the sliding door as having been used quote, at the house late mr de pestres near hanover square End quote, and adds that quote, the manner of it there may serve as an example to other builders end quote, showing it to have been a novelty which he thought worthy of imitation english taste has never been so pure as that of the latin races and it has moreover been perpetually modified by a passion for contriving all kinds of supposed conveniences which instead of simplifying life not unfrequently tend to complicate it americans have inherited this trait and in both countries the architect or upholsterer who can present a new and more intricate way of planning a house or of making a piece of furniture is more sure of a hearing than he who follows the accepted lines 
it is doubtful if the devices to which so much is sacrificed in english and american house planning always offer the practical advantages attributed to them in the case of the sliding door these advantages are certainly open to question since there is no reason why a door should not open into a room under ordinary circumstances doors should always be kept shut it is only as ware points out when two adjoining rooms are used for entertaining that it is necessary to leave the door between them open now when two rooms destined for entertaining a double door a deux battants is always preferable to a single one and as an opening four feet six inches wide is sufficient in such cases each of the doors will be only two feet three inches wide and therefore cannot encroach to any serious extent on the floor space of the room on the other hand much has been sacrificed to the supposed convenience of the sliding door first the decorative effect of a well-panelled door with hinges box locks and handle of finely chiselled bronze secondly the privacy of both rooms since the difficulty of closing a heavy sliding door always leads to its being left open with the result that two rooms are necessarily used as one in fact the absence of privacy in modern houses is doubtless in part due to the difficulty of closing the doors between the rooms the sliding door has led to another abuse in house planning the exaggerated widening of the doorway while doors were hung on hinges doorways were of necessity restricted to their proper dimensions but with the introduction of the sliding door openings eight or ten feet wide became possible the planning of a house is often modified by a vague idea on the part of its owners that they may wish to give entertainments on a large scale as a matter of fact general entertainments are seldom given in a house of average size and those who plan their houses with a view to such possibilities sacrifice their daily comfort to an event occurring perhaps once a year but even where many entertainments are to be given large doorways are of little use an architect of experience knows that ease of circulation depends far more on the planning of the house and on the position of the openings than on the actual dimensions of the latter indeed two moderate-sized doorways leading from one room to another are of much more use in facilitating the movements of a crowd than one opening ten feet wide sliding doors have been recommended on the ground that their use preserves a greater amount of wall space but two doorways of moderate dimensions properly placed will preserve as much wall space as one very large opening and will probably permit a better distribution of panelling and furniture there was far more wall space in seventeenth and eighteenth century rooms than there is in rooms of the same dimensions in the average modern american house 
and even where this space was not greater in actual measurement more furniture could be used since the openings were always placed with a view to the proper arrangement of what the room was to contain according to the best authorities the height of a well-proportioned doorway should be twice its width and as the height is necessarily regulated by the stud of the room it follows that the width varies but it is obvious that no doorway should be less than six feet high nor less than three feet wide when a doorway is over three feet six inches wide a pair of doors should always be used while a single door is preferable in a narrow opening in rooms twelve feet or less in height doorways should not be more than nine feet high the width of openings in such rooms is therefore restricted to four feet six inches indeed it is permissible to make the opening lower and thus reduce its width to four feet six inches of additional wall space are not to be despised in a room of average dimensions the treatment of the door forms one of the most interesting chapters in the history of house decoration in feudal castles the interior doorway for purposes of defense was made so small and narrow that only one person could pass through at a time and was set in a plain lintel or architrave of stone the door itself being fortified by bands of steel or iron and by heavy bolts and bars even at this early period it seems probable that in the chief apartments the lines of the doorway were carried up to the ceiling by means of an overdoor of carved wood or of some painted decorative composition this connection between the doorway and the ceiling maintained through all the subsequent phases of house decoration was in fact never disregarded until the beginning of the present century it was in italy that the door in common with the other features of private dwellings first received a distinctly architectural treatment in italian palaces of the fifteenth century the doorways were usually framed by architraves of marble enriched with arabesques medallions and processional frieze in low relief combined with discs of colored marble interesting examples of this treatment are seen in the apartments of isabella of est in the ducal palace at mantua in the ducal palace at urbino and in the certosa of pavia some of the smaller doorways in this monastery being decorated with medallion portraits of the sforzas and with other low reliefs of extraordinary beauty the doors in italian palaces were usually of inlaid wood elaborate in composition and affording in many cases beautiful instances of that sense of material limitation that preserves one art from infringing upon another the intarsia doors of the palace at urbino are among the most famous examples of this form of decoration it should be noted that many of the woods used in italian marquetry were of a light shade so that the blending of colors in renaissance doors produces a sunny golden-brown tint 
in perfect harmony with the marble architrave of the doorway the italian decorator would never have permitted so harsh a contrast as that between the white trim and the mahogany doors of english eighteenth-century houses the juxtaposition of colors was disapproved by french decorators also and was seldom seen in england and in the american houses built under english influence it should be observed too that the polish given to hard-grained wood in england and imitated in the wood varnish of the present day was never in favor in italy and france shiny surfaces were always disliked by the best decorators the classic revival in italy necessarily modified the treatment of the doorway flat arabesques and delicately chiseled medallions gave way to a plain architrave frequently masked by an order while the overdoor took the form of a pediment or in the absence of shafts of a cornice or entablature resting on brackets the use of a pediment over interior doorways was characteristic of italian decoration in studying italian interiors of this period from photographs or modern prints or even in visiting the partly dilapidated palaces themselves it may at first appear that the lines of the doorway were not always carried up to the cornice several causes have combined to produce this impression in the first place the architectural treatment of the overdoor was frequently painted on the wall and has consequently disappeared with the rest of the wall decoration then again italian rooms were often painted with landscapes and out-of-door architectural effects and when this was done the doorways were combined with these architectural compositions and were not treated as part of the room but as part of what the room pretended to be in the suppressed scuola del carita now the academy of fine arts at venice one may see a famous example of this treatment in the doorway under the stairs leading up to the temple in titian's great painting of the presentation of the virgin again in the high studded italian salons containing a musician's gallery or a clerestory a cornice was frequently carried around the walls at suitable height above the lower range of openings and the decorative treatment above the doors windows and fireplace extended only to this cornice not to the actual ceiling of the room thus it will be seen that the relation between the openings and cornice in italian decoration was in reality always maintained except where the decorator chose to regard them as forming a part not of the room but of some other architectural composition in the sixteenth century the excessive use of marquetry was abandoned doors became panelled and either left undecorated or painted with those light animated combinations of figure and arabesque which raphael borrowed from the roman fresco painters and which since his day have been peculiarly characteristic of italian decorative painting 
wood carving in italy was little used in house decoration and as a rule the panelling of doors was severely architectural in character with little of the delicate ornamentation marking the french work of the seventeenth and eighteenth centuries in france the application of the orders to interior doorways was never very popular though it figures in french architectural works of the eighteenth century the architrave except in houses of great magnificence was usually of wood sometimes very richly carved it was often surmounted by an entablature with a cornice resting on carved brackets while the panel between this and the ceiling cornice was occupied by an overdoor consisting either of a painting of a carved panel or of a stucco or marble bas-relief these overdoors usually corresponded with the design of the overmantel great taste and skill were displayed in the decoration of door panels and embrasure in the earlier part of the seventeenth century doors and embrasures were usually painted and nothing in the way of decorative painting can exceed in beauty and fitness the french compositions of this period during the reign of louis the fourteenth doors were either carved or painted and their treatment ranged from the most elaborate decoration to the simplest panelling set in a plain wood architrave in some french doors of this period painting and carving were admirably combined and they were further ornamented by the chiseled locks and hinges for which french locksmiths were famous so important a part did these locks and hinges play in french decoration that lebrun himself is said to have designed those in the gallery d'apollon in the louvre when he composed the decoration of the room even in the simplest private houses where chiseled bronze was too expensive a luxury and wrought iron locks and hinges with plain knobs of brass or iron were used instead such attention was paid to both design and execution that it is almost impossible to find in france an old lock or hinge however plain that is not well designed and well made the miserable commercial article that disgraces our modern doors would not have been tolerated in the most unpretentious dwelling the mortise lock now in use in england and america first made its appearance towards the end of the eighteenth century in england where it displaced the brass or iron box lock but on the continent it has never been adopted it is a poor substitute for the box lock since it not only weakens but disfigures the door while a well-designed box lock is both substantial and ornamental in many minds the louis the fifteenth period is associated with a general waviness of line and excess of carving it has already been pointed out that even when the rocaille manor was at its height the main lines of a room were seldom allowed to follow the capricious movement of the ornamental accessories openings being the leading features of a room their main lines were almost invariably respected 
and while considerable play of movement was allowed in some of the accessory mouldings of the overdoors and overmantels the plan of the panel in general symmetrical was in many cases a plain rectangle during the louis the fifteenth period the panelling of doors was frequently enriched with elaborate carving but such doors are to be found only in palaces or in princely houses like the hotel de soubise de Charon, or de toulouse in the most magnificent apartments moreover plain panelled doors were as common as those adorned with carving while in the average private hotel even where much ornament was lavished on the panelling of the walls the doors were left plain towards the close of this reign when the influence of gabrielle began to simplify and restrain the ornamental details of house decoration the panelled door was often made without carving and was sometimes painted with attenuated arabesques and grisset medallions relieved against a gold ground gabrielle gave the keynote of what is known as louis the sixteenth decoration and the treatment of the door in france followed the same general lines until the end of the eighteenth century as the classic influence became more marked paintings in the over-door and over-mantel were replaced by low or high reliefs in stucco and towards the end of the louis sixteenth period a processional frieze in the classic manner often filled the entablature above the architrave of the door doors opening upon a terrace or leading from an antechamber into a summer parlor or salon frais were frequently made of glass while in gala rooms doors so situated as to correspond with the windows of the room were sometimes made of looking-glass in both instances the glass was divided into small panes with such strongly marked mouldings that there could not be a moment's doubt of the apparent as well as the actual solidity of the door in good decorative art first impressions are always taken into account and the immediate satisfaction of the eye is provided for in england the treatment of doorway and door followed in a general way the italian precedent the architrave as a rule was severely architectural and in the eighteenth century the application of an order was regarded as almost essential in rooms of a certain importance the door itself was sometimes inlaid but oftener simply panelled in the panelling of doors english taste except when it closely followed italian precedents was not always good the use of a pair of doors in one opening was confined to grand houses and in the average dwelling single doors were almost invariably used even in openings over three feet wide the great width of some of these single doors led to a curious treatment of the panels the door being divided by a central style which was sometimes beaded as though instead of a single door it were really a pair held together by some invisible agency 
this central style is almost invariably seen in the doors of modern american houses towards the middle of the eighteenth century the use of highly polished mahogany doors became general in england it has already been pointed out that the juxtaposition of a dark-colored door and a white architrave was not approved by french and italian architects blondel in fact expressly states that such contrasts are to be avoided and that where walls are pale in tint the door should never be dark thus in vestibules and antechambers panelled with crin stone he recommends painting the doors a pale shade of grey in italy when doors were left unpainted they were usually made of walnut a wood of which the soft dull tone harmonizes well with almost any color whether light or dark while in france it would not be easy to find an unpainted door except in rooms where the wall panelling is also of natural wood in the better type of house lately built in america there is seen a tendency to return to the use of doors hung on hinges these however have been so long out of favor that the rules regulating their dimensions have been lost sight of and the modern door and architrave are seldom satisfactory in these respects the principles of proportion have been further disturbed by a return to the confused and hesitating system of panelling prevalent in england during the tudor and elizabethan periods the old french and italian architects never failed to respect that rule of decorative composition which prescribes that where there is any division of parts one part shall unmistakably predominate in conformity with this rule the principal panel in doors of french or italian design is so much higher than the others that these are at once seen to be merely accessory whereas many of our modern doors are cut up into so many small panels and the central one so little exceeds the others in height that they do not compose the architrave of the modern door has been neglected for the same reason as the window architrave the use of the heavy sliding door which could not be opened or shut without an effort led to the adoption of the portiere and the architrave being thus concealed was no longer regarded as a feature of any importance in the decoration of the room the portiere has always been used as old prints and pictures show but like the curtain in earlier days it was simply intended to keep out currents of air and was consequently seldom seen in well-built houses where double sets of doors served far better to protect the room from draughts in less luxurious rooms where there were no double doors and portieres had to be used these were made as scant and unobtrusive as possible the device of draping stuffs about the doorway thus substituting a textile architrave for one of wood or stone originated with the modern upholsterer and it is now not unusual to see a wide opening with no door in it enclosed in yards and yards of draperies 
which cannot even be lowered at will the portiere besides causing a break in architectural lines has become one of the chief expenses in the decoration of the modern room indeed the amount spent in buying yards of plush or damask with the addition of silk cord tassels gimp and fringe often makes it necessary to slight the essential features of the room so that an ugly mantelpiece or ceiling is preserved because the money required to replace it has been used in the purchase of portiere these superfluous draperies are in fact more expensive than a well-made door with hinges and box-lock of chiselled bronze the general use of the portiere has also caused the disappearance of the over-door the lines of the opening being hidden under a mass of drapery the need of connecting them with the cornice was no longer felt and one more feature of the room passed out of the architect's hands into those of the upholsterer or as he might more fitly be called the house dressmaker the return to better principles of design will do more than anything else to restore the architectural lines of the room those who use portiere generally do so from an instinctive feeling that a door is an ugly thing that ought to be hidden and modern doors are in fact ugly but when architects give to the treatment of openings the same attention they formerly received it will soon be seen that this ugliness is not a necessity and the portier will disappear with the return of well designed doors some general hints concerning the distribution of openings have been given in the chapter on walls it may be noted in addition that while all doorways in a room should as a rule be of one height there are cases where certain clearly subordinate openings may be lower than those which contain doors a deux battant in such cases the panelling of the door must be carefully modified in accordance with the dimensions of the opening and the treatment of the over doors in their relation to each other must be studied with equal attention examples of such adaptions are to be found in many old french and italian rooms doors should always swing into a room this facilitates entrance and gives the hospitable impression that everything is made easy to those who are coming in doors should furthermore be so hung that they screen that part of the room in which the occupants usually sit in small rooms especially those in townhouses this detail cannot be too carefully considered the fact that so many doors open in the wrong way is another excuse for the existence of portiere a word must also be said concerning the actual making of the door there is a general impression that veneered doors or furniture are cheap substitutes for articles made of solid blocks of wood as a matter of fact owing to the high temperature of american houses all well-made woodwork used in this country is of necessity composed of at least three and often of five layers of wood 
this method of veneering in which the layers are so placed that the grains run in different directions is the only way of counteracting the shrinking and swelling of the wood under artificial heat in some mines the concealed door represents one of those architectural deceptions which no necessity can excuse it is certain that the concealed door is an expedient and that in a well-planned house there should be no need for expedience unless the architect is hampered by limitations of space as in the case in designing the average american townhouse architects all know how many principles of beauty and fitness must be sacrificed to the restrictions of a plot of ground twenty-five feet wide by seventy-five or a hundred in length under such conditions every device is permissible that helps to produce an effect of spaciousness and symmetry without interfering with convenience chief among these contrivances being the concealed door such doors are often useful in altering or adding to a badly planned house it is sometimes desirable to give increased facilities of communication without adding to the visible number of openings in any one room while in other cases the limited amount of wall space may make it difficult to find place for a doorway corresponding in dimensions with the others or again where it is necessary to make a closet under the stairs the architrave of a visible door may clash awkwardly with the string-board under such conditions the concealed door naturally suggests itself to those who regard its use as an offence against artistic integrity it must once more be pointed out that architecture addresses itself not to the moral sense but to the eye the existing confusion on this point is partly due to the strange analogy drawn by modern critics between artistic sincerity and moral law analogies are the most dangerous form of reasoning they connect resemblances but disguise facts and in this instance nothing can be more fallacious than to measure the architect's action by an ethical standard sincerity in many minds is chiefly associated with speaking the truth but architectural sincerity is simply obedience to certain visual requirements one of which demands that what are at once seen to be the main lines of a room or house shall be acknowledged as such in the application of ornament the same architectural principles demand that the main lines of a room shall not be unnecessarily interrupted and in certain cases it would be bad taste to disturb the equilibrium of wall spaces and decoration by introducing a visible door leading to some unimportant closet or passageway of which the existence need not be known to any but the inmates of the house it is in such cases that the concealed door is a useful expedient it can hardly be necessary to point out that it would be a great mistake to place a concealed door in a main opening 
these openings should always be recognized as one of the chief features of the room and so treated by the decorator but this point has already been so strongly insisted upon that it is reverted to here only in order to show how different are the requirements which justify concealment the concealed door has until recently been used so little by american architects that its construction is not well understood and it is often hung on ordinary visible hinges instead of being swung on a pivot there is no reason why with proper care a door of this kind should not be so nicely adjusted to the wall panelling as to be practically invisible and to fulfil this condition is the first necessity of its construction End of chapter 4